tendencies in us that we read then. That we have tendencies to make ourselves spiritual orphans or runaways. Because we try to make our own home instead of resting in the home God has created for us. Now, I want to show a little video um, for you. It's, uh, there's a song to it called Fake Empire. And it really captures, uh, I think, tries to capture how we try to make our fake home. How we try to make our, our fake empire. And how, how we use the things of creation and ourselves to make that home instead of resting in our Creator. How we... we Try to make our home by our appearance, by what we look like and, and, and our clothing. Uh, how, how we try to make our home by satisfying our, our appetites of food or sex or intimacy. How we try to satisfy that desire to, to achieve more and more exhilarating kind of accomplishments. And yet, in each one, it eventually is empty. Because we're trying to find our home, trying to make our home in the things of this world instead of in our Creator. So I invite you to uh, watch this and, and consider the ways that we try to make our own home instead of rest in the home that God has for us. Super late tonight, picking apples, making pies, put a little something in our lemonade, and take it with us, put a laugh away in a fake empire. We're half awake in a fake empire. Tiptoe through our shiny city. With our diamond slippers on Do our gay ballet nights Bluebirds on our shoulders We're half awake In a fake empire We're half awake In a fake
Now, illustrations of ways that we take um, what uh, God has created and we make God out of it instead of making God God. The, it illustrates our runaway spiritual orphan tendencies to make our own home in the things around us instead of resting our home in God. And when we do that, when we try to make other things our home, eventually they're unsatisfying. Uh, they, they end you know, really in, in disappointment and ruin. And I think and what we want to look at today is that the, what's absolutely crucial is how we view God. Our understanding, our experiences that, that form how we, we view and understand God are absolutely crucial to, to fight that runaway tendency within us. Uh, that, that capacity within us to try to make our own home instead of resting in the home that God has for us. I want to, to look, uh, we'll look at in scripture a little bit in terms of what we think and then even consider uh, in our own experiences, how experiences we've had form us and form our view of God. One being more cognitive and one being more guttural. But let's, uh, let's pray together. Gracious God, we give ourselves to you now. We ask that you, your spirit would continue to form us, uh, continue to, to lead and direct us as we look at your word, that which we, we know to be true. And that you would correct ways that in the world around us or in, in our own tendencies or from the lies of the evil one that we've bought into what is incomplete about you or even a lie. Correct us. Uh, change us and, and lead us to the fullness of faith and trust in you as our loving creator. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, so there's a couple things to consider when we think about how we think about God, what we believe about him. And, and first is to recognize um, sort of what's the the common belief around us in the church in the United States today. And uh, one of my favorite sources for that is a guy named Christian Smith. He's a sociologist at Notre Dame, um, uh, University of Notre Dame. And, and he's been for a number of years now, study, his life work has been to study the church as a sociologist, just to, to find out what is it that Christians believe about God today, really. You know, not what's written in statements of faith, but sort of what they really believe in their head, what's really going on inside of them. And what he has come up with is that, uh, and I've mentioned this before, um, a theology, the understanding of God is called moralistic therapeutic deism. That's sort of in general what uh, the... And it, the Dr. Smith works in the churches, what folks in church sort of believe about God. Now, by deism, what that means is that God sort of got everything created, you know, got everything, put it all together, and then uh, sort of like a bowling ball, just sort of now put it down the lane, and now it's rolling on its own. You know, but he's the one that got it together, got it started, and gave it the first push. The moralistic Parts is that well we believe God has some good rules 
good guidelines. And if we follow those rules, then that will lead to good life. And then the therapeutic part is that sometimes we'll be uh, on that bowling ball and we'll fall in the gutter and um, he'll come in and help pick us up. That's sort of the therapy. He he becomes a therapist every once in a while when we really are in trouble. But it's a, a picture of God who's sort of been defanged. Yeah, domesticated. Um, not one that's actively involved in our lives, but one that just sort of gets it started and then watches from afar, sort of grandfatherly. A far cry from the radical picture of the scriptures of a God who creates, sustains every blade of grass that grows, still grows because of his active power and one who is intimately involved in our lives and seeking To know his creation intimately and for them to rely and trust and find our home in him. It's important to to recognize that as folks in the church and religious settings that sometimes we might be the first ones to get locked onto an idea and have the hardest ones to let go of that when we find the scriptures teaching otherwise. Uh, what I want to do is look at a couple passages where the, the, the people who should have gotten it right got it wrong. And how they teach us um, the, the nature of God through their mistakes, which are you know, great ways to learn are through mistakes. And we have the privilege of learning from the mistakes of the Pharisees and the disciples. Our first passage is in Matthew 12. Starting with verse 7. It's on 793 in your pew Bible or you can follow along on the screen. And this is one where the, our, those religious leaders of the day, yeah, they, they got it wrong. And they, they were, didn't have a good relationship with Jesus. Because Jesus came and teaching and leading in ways that they really struggled with. And that's what we're going to encounter here. We're going to come to the end of one of their conversations and then pick up uh, the other. But it's Jesus talking with the Pharisees here. And then we'll see an instance of uh, uh, their engagement at one of the worship services where Jesus heals a man when he wasn't supposed to, according to the Pharisees. Rules. So starting with verse 7 of Matthew 12. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He left that place and entered their synagogue. A man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to cure on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them. Suppose one of you had only one sheep. And it falls into a pit on the Sabbath. Will you not lay hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a human being than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man. Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out. And it was restored. As sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Now, you see, the the, the Pharisees are giving us a great example of how we can take the ways of the world and just give them a religious facade. 
You know, just a nice little uh, uh, overlay of religiosity. Because what they were doing is that we, we, we need to achieve in order to earn God's pleasure. We have to achieve religious purity. I mean, they, they think God is about ritual and religious practices. So therefore, you're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath. So don't heal on the Sabbath. They've got the rules and you're supposed to keep them. The problem is they got the wrong idea about God. That, that somehow God is very particular about these peculiar rules that really seem to get in the way of being at home in Him instead of helping. You know, this, this uh, religious achievement that was within them gets in the way of being at home. In God. Because you're always wondering, am I doing enough? Is this rule fulfilled? It's like when, when I was a child, I walked, we had a neighbor's down the street, the Farrells. And you know, I don't, as a kid, yeah, that home just wasn't home. I mean, you couldn't, you could only eat at this particular time and in this particular place. You really couldn't run through the house at all. You really couldn't laugh too loudly. You couldn't touch the, the drapes. You couldn't touch the, the lamps. You couldn't touch the furniture. And if you're going to get on the carpet, you needed to hover about a half inch above it. So I, slightly. Yeah, some of you are like, that sounds good. Sounds like home. You know, as a kid, you know, I mean, that was a scary place, not homey feel to, uh, to me. And that's, in a sense, what you see here that Jesus is correcting. You know, it's just a picture here of God, sort of like Jabba the Hutt for any Star Wars fans, you know? I mean, he's just this sort of big God who gets what he wants, has an overflated ego, and has a bunch of empty rules that people are supposed to, to follow in order to pay homage to him. Now, Jesus corrects him at the very beginning when he says, don't you know, or he quotes from the Old Testament, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And by sacrifice there, he doesn't mean things that you give up. He means the sacrifices of worship in the Old Testament. You know, lamb sacrifice and sheep sacrifice and two turtle doves and partridge in a pear tree. Um, it means, you know, I don't want you to be about religious rituals, whether it's on Sunday morning in 2012 or if it's on Saturday afternoon in the synagogue 2,000 years ago. What God wants it to be about is mercy. That's what He's about. And that's what He wants you to be about with one another. Because that's the very heart of God. And if there are any rituals or guidelines, religious practices, they need to, to be leading us to understanding God in that nature and not some other. The disciples, those that were hanging around Jesus, they got it wrong also. And we have a great picture of that in Mark chapter 9, starting with verse 33. It's found on 821 in your pew Bible, or you can follow along on the screen. Then they, the disciples, came to Capernaum. And when he, Jesus, was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? 
But they were silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them. And taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. Look at what was going on in the disciples' mind. How they were, again, playing the game of the world, but just with the religious tones, religious language. And what was at the heart was that God really wasn't powerful enough to provide them all that they needed. I need to make my home. That's what the disciples are doing. I need to make my home by achieving the most. By competing with and surpassing all these other disciples so that I can be the best disciple. And therefore get the best benefit package in heaven. I mean, it's like the disciples are playing Survivor or something. You know, voting one another off the island. I must accomplish the best so that I can get what I need and want. Even with Jesus. I've got to make my own. But but look at how Jesus corrects them. In my words, it's like Jesus turns to them and says, Don't you know? Don't Don't you know this? God could care less what place you finish. God could care less what color the ribbon is. God simply cares. Period. Not dependent upon what place you are. God cares. And look. See this child right here? Look, this child hasn't achieved anything. Matter of fact, this child takes more than he gives. It won't be until he reaches a certain age that then he works on the farm and then he's worth something. But right now, the common understanding of child in Jesus' day was that they took more than they give. They were not worthy of anything. They hadn't achieved anything. Matter of fact, they were digging themselves a hole. And they're going to have to work their way out of that hole. And about the time they're teenagers, then they'll be worth something. But don't you know, just this worthless child who hasn't achieved anything, you welcome him like I welcome him. That's the way of the Father. Has no tie or connection to what place, what achievement we accomplish. And Jesus is correcting the disciples and helping us. Yeah, it's a, it's a great warning to look at these passages because here are the folks that, are, that have religious experiences. These are the folks that they, they, they know some of the stories. They, they, they know what's going on. But they still have let the world impact who they think God is and what is important to God instead of resting in the home that God has for them. They're still seeking approval, achieving greater feats, and satisfying their own appetites instead of resting In the home God has for them. Now I want to share one example. Where one gets it right. I think maybe my favorite um, example of of this. um, uh, Where one who is all wrong. I mean all wrong. Almost dead wrong. Um, He will be soon. 
But he gets it all right. And it's Luke chapter 23, verse 39 through 43. It's uh, 860 in your pew by if you want to turn there or again follow along on the screen. And, and here is the situation is Jesus is on the cross. And Jesus is on the cross and he's got two people on crosses next to him. One to his right, one to his left. And they're, they're thieves. And this is going to be an interaction between Jesus and the thieves. So I mean, this is while they're on the cross. I mean, the nails have been hammered in. And so they are hanging on the cross. And this is their interaction. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding Jesus and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he replied, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. What an amazing, radical story. This is offensive, this story is. I wouldn't believe it unless I read it, and even then, I have a hard time believing it. But this is the very nature of God. Don't you love it? I mean, you got the two thieves, one of them still working. You know, he's still trying to build his own home. He's trying to leverage Jesus. Hey, come on, buddy. You say you're the Messiah. Come on. Do it. And take us with you. Yeah, he can't let go. But the other thief proclaims the good news of the the love of God in, in ways that are beyond description. But I'll try. He speaks great truth that God, the Creator, the one that started it all with everything we needed, and yet we try to make our own home, that that same God is willing to suffer for you and for me. He's willing to suffer innocently. I mean, the thief knew it. He said, you know, hey, don't, don't, you're telling us, but don't you know this guy didn't do anything wrong? We did. He did nothing wrong. The, the, the truth that he is presenting to us. This guy got it all wrong, got it all right. That God is willing to suffer for you and for me. I have a hard time even saying that. Let alone resting in that. And then, on top of that, I mean, Jesus could have said, You're right, you got it right, but sorry, it's too late. This, this God is willing to suffer for me and for you. He also wildly accepts those who come to Him. It's a simple act of humble faith. Remember me. Just remember me. Honest, humble faith. I mean, this, this thief is the poster child for coming home. Or one of them. I mean, he'd achieved nothing but trouble. He he was affirmed by none. 
And, and now he was at the point where his appetites had gotten him crucified next to Jesus. And yet Jesus, God in the flesh. I mean, what you see Jesus do, what you hear him say is what you see God do. Is what you hear God say. Jesus welcomes this runaway home. Now, what I really hope that you, you gather from this, one, is a, a healthy recognition that none of us got it all right. You know, and how so often the biblical writers give us that. The ones who should have gotten it right got it wrong. The ones who are all wrong got it right. It's a, a healthy place to be because if you think you got it all right, then you think you're God. And then you better run. It's always good to come before God and say, Hey, God, cleanse me. Correct me. You know, where I got you, you down as some ogre who, who expects this, this, and this. You know, correct me as one who desires mercy. Correct me as one that I can just turn to. Remember me. I'm broken. I'm dying. And I welcome you. Our foundation, our center, our very tether in the very nature of God is found in the scriptures that proclaim this truth that God welcomes home anyone who turns to Him in humble faith. You know, what, what I wish was for me and for you, I wish this was the case. I wish it were a matter of just getting the right ideas. You know, I would really make things nice and neat. You know, if we just sort of came in, opened our head, just poured in the right ideas, and then we just lived by those right ideas. You know, amen to that. Uh, I'd get an amen. I wish that was... But that's not... Because we are too complex of people, and our lives just don't work that way as much as I would like it. But our experiences in life also form our understanding, our ideas of God. And if you, you have your book with you or you have the, the handout that you received, we're not going to do it now. I think it's a, a little too, uh, um, it takes a little more time and energy than we have um, now. But I do want to just draw your attention to this about how our experiences in life also form our understanding of who God is. And largely, those are, are formed by the authority figures in our life, particularly our parents or guardians. How we experienced them has a lot to do about forming how we're going to view God. And you can you know, walk through this on page 28, 29, the part in the blue. I know it's sort of on front and back, but if you've got, got the sheets... But part one is to describe your descriptions of your dad or the person who raised you, the persons who raised you. Make those descriptions. Then you're going to look back at that and think, well, how did I respond to that? Because of that person's characteristics, I reacted by this way. And then part three is then how might then that relationship with that person influence my relationship with authority figures today? And then part four, well then, how does that impact how I view God? Uh, for me, um, you know, I look back at my father. It was a, 
a great relationship. He provided all that I needed and more than that. I mean, it was a, it was a good, healthy situation. But uh, the way I experienced my dad was as almost like a deist dad. Like I was talking about before. And that he sort of gave me everything I needed, got it, and then said, okay. You know, just never really had conversations about you know, how things were going at school. Never didn't come to ball games, that kind of stuff. Just, but got everything I needed and said, now go. Um, and what that, how I responded to that was then I became sort of self-sufficient. All right, get what I need. Now get my plan and then work it. You know, chug through that particular plan. And how that relates to authority figures is then that, that is that there's not relationships with those. It's just, you know, get what I need to work the plan and then I work the plan. You know, and sort of self-sufficient and achieve what I need. And as I consider that about God, then I see God as sort of that distant relationship, not, not in relationship, not uh, just, well, provide sort of this stuff for me so that then I can go achieve what I'm supposed to achieve with what God has given me versus uh, a relationship, of a, a journey of walking in life together. So, a simple, um, a cursory example for me. What I uh, want you to do is do this during the week. Take some time. Walk through this. For some of you, this will be extremely difficult. Because there are ways that you were abused. You were abandoned. And, and what you, you, you need to give Gene a, a call. And, and connect a relationship with someone who can listen. Someone who can uh, um, be in, in, in counseling um, with you. And there's plenty of folks in, in the White House who will do that. And Gene can connect you to them. Uh, because of how significant those, that relationship is to how you view God. Secondly, if you, uh, so that's one assignment for the week. But secondly, if you turn, the, if you got your book with you, if you don't, you just have to believe me. Um, there's a you know, passage uh, 34 through, or page 34 through 37. There's some uh, different descriptions of God. And what I'm asking you to do during this week is take some time, look at those descriptions, pick the one that you have the hardest time believing. Pick the one and what's underneath each of those little sayings or passages of Scripture. And then I want, that, I want you to take that Scripture, memorize that during the course of this week. I mean, just say it every day. Say it regularly. You know, like, for example, I mean... One of the, the headings is he wants to hear everything about your day. Do you have a hard time believing that about God? Well, there's a couple passages saying, listen, this is what, what informs from the scripture, the, that truth about God. That he, he wants good things for you. Do you have a hard time? That, that he isn't leaving. Do you have a hard time believing that? That he understands your struggles. 
I mean, there's a number, I'm not going to read them all, but a number of them in here as a, as a tool for this week to be formed by the Scriptures above our experiences, above the, the words of the world to inform us so that we are formed by the truth and by nothing else. Because wrong ideas and, and challenging experiences can lead us to wrong beliefs about God that feed our orphan-like runaway tendencies to make our own home instead of resting in the home God has for us. So let us covenant with one another to work together to correct those wrong ideas and bring healing to those harmful experiences. Amen. Let's uh, continue in prayer. Gracious God, we give you thanks for the, the truth that you communicate to us about your very nature. We rejoice in one who is not just loving, but who is love. Not just one who is gracious, but who is grace and mercy, goodness and truth. We pray during this week that you will correct us, heal us, lead us in that next step or two to the ideas of who you are and to experiencing and knowing you in your grace, mercy, and truth. We pray, gracious God as well, for one another. We, we lift up the, the needs of, of one another around us. We continue to pray for your, your healing hand upon Donna Pessinger, Bob Fall, Karen Lane. Give you thanks for your healing hand upon them. And we lift up the family and friends of Elsa Shirk. For Elsa died this week. And we pray they will have that peace that transcends all understanding, that they indeed will experience home in you, in the sure and certain power of the resurrection to eternal life in Jesus Christ. And gracious God, we ask that you will um, lead us, continue to, to form us, as we pray for you to make us your church without walls. Hear us as we pray together, not just saying words, but truly continuing to be formed, seeking to be formed by you, to be your people. Dear God, make us into your community for your glory. Connect us in Jesus no matter our differences. Lead us to serve the world like Jesus no matter the cost. Help us to celebrate you, no matter the circumstances. We need you, Holy Spirit, 
to empower us for greater works than Jesus. Amen. Now, as we continue to worship through our offering, invite you to give like God gives, generously, uh, sacrificially, and cheerfully.